0: Greetings comrades! This week, our episode is there because of actual popular demand. I was uh, literally bombarded about this uh, whole thing, I was asked to speak about the Bobchenkov affair multiple times by various different reasons, so, so that's what I'm out to do here. And yeah, turns out it is a very complicated matter that literally changes even while I am writing the script. I'm not even sure if this whole ends up in recording, but still. First i would like to start here with an opinion that came from a listener of mine that i presume lives in ukraine but not being ukrainian himself and i quote here i'd like my two cop- i'd like to say my two kopecks about what people are saying in kiev both sides are reacting in two different ways very big frustrations uh, are in the air that people have been feeling on one hand there have been a lot of political assassinations including the very in the very heart of the capital city and the police have done very little to resolve them And these have been some high-profile people that even a nobody like me has had tangential connection to. So there has been a feeling that the government has been unable to do anything about Russia killing people with impunity. This group is happy that one of those killings could be stopped. On the other hand, Kiev has shown time and time again that they both have a rough relationship with the truth and have no awareness or interest in how they look to the outside world. The government spent a day blaming Moscow for something that didn't happen. And what gets more personal, nearly everyone wrote something about how Putin killed another one of our own. So not only are they very sensitive to the idea of fake news, the government made them all look silly. I'm in the second group. Unless they have hard proof that a Russian cabinet member directly signed off on the hit, there were probably better strategies. Later, he added that the, you know, probably the intel gained in this whole operation is pretty good and that... uh, I shouldn't mention his name here, as his own opinions are actually changing, at least that's what he wrote to me. And as I dug into this whole thing, I can't blame, blame the person, because these perspectives are something that I would like to look on myself about, you know, what could be the possible Russia's involvement and, you know, answer whys and, and find stuff out. But yeah, my own opinions are also shifting here. So first off, let us look at who Arkady Babchenko is. And why would he even matter? Well, Babchenko was born in 1977, and he's a Russian writer, war correspondent, and a journalist. And his life... His life is pretty interesting, to say the least. And in my opinion, his life, as we're going to look at it now, kind of explains why he might be actually especially annoying and dangerous to the Putin regime. In a sort of a um, philosophical sense. You see, in 1995, while he was studying in his second year in the university, he was conscripted in the army. In Russia, that tends to happen. He served in North Caucasus and was in the communications squad of the 429th Motorized Infantry Division. And thus he served in the First Chechen War. He was then retired in reserves in 1997 and finished the law faculty of the Modern Humanities University, getting you know, getting a BA in International Rights in 1999. After the terrorist bombings, to whom we dedicated a whole recent episode to, when the Second Chechen War broke out, he joined it, as a professional soldier this time under contract with the Armed Forces of the Russian Federation. He again served in a communications squad, later he served with a motorized infantry, and by the end he was a commander in the, and this was a really hard military term for me kind of to grasp and translate, in the <clears throat> anti-tank man-operated recall rifle uh, grenade launcher squad. I, I, I hope I got that one right. Anyhow, he was the commander of such a squad. In 2000, he was honorably discharged in the reserves at the title of Sergeant of the Guard. And again, I hope it translates somehow in Russian, his title is Starshin Gwardy, which is something similar. And and from that point on, since the discharge, he has been a journalist. He worked as the war correspondent for Moscow Komsomol. And after that, until 2003, as the correspondent for the TV program The Forgotten Regiment, which aired back then on um, NTV, TV6, and TVC. He also worked with various other media organizations, both in print and on television, and got quite a lot of, ex- uh, lot of experience there, and among the most notable would be uh, such, such as uh, Peasants Russia and The Army Store, you know, among other these these of funny names. After this period, for a few years, he quit journalism, and actually worked as a taxi driver for a while. This, eventually, you know, this, this got him back on track at one point, And um, he joined the newspaper, Novaya Gazeta, as a war correspondent. But this didn't last very long, (laughs) because he was fired from there, you know, uh, upon his own request. And uh, as he stated publicly, he was fired there for sloveliness and being sloppy. He, however, managed to be uh, and to serve as a war correspondent in the Russian-Georgian War, in the conflicts in South Ossetia and Abkhazia in 2008. He's also concerned to be one of the founders of modern military prose, as he's written a lot of uh, kind of military military fiction and non-fiction, and he's the publisher of the magazine The Art of War. And yeah, besides his latest events, his life also involves him, Mr. Babchenko, getting into quite a lot of trouble. In March 2012, a criminal case was opened against him for, uh, <clears throat> and I, let me check here, Article 212 of the Criminal Code of the Russian Federation, uh, that, that being calls for mass riots. Uh, that was due to his article about the, uh, the possible tactics of the people who protest in Russia, you know, about how the protesters should act and what could they do, in the <clears throat> four honest elections protest actions that happened in 2012. Well, obviously, those didn't go anywhere. Just as this criminal case. Later on, in 2013, Babchenko went to Turkey amidst the mass demonstrations there. Uh, let me remind you, these were the so called Gezi Park protests that, uh, that started initially to contest kind of the um, urban development plan for Istanbul's <clears throat> Taksin Gezi Park. Yeah, these, these things were sparked by uh, the outrage of basically violent eviction of kind of a sit-in at the park who were protesting the plan. It was uh, kind of in line with, like, Occupy Wall Street protests going on there, but they were evicted violently. And, yeah, later on, subsequently, supporting protests and strikes kind of happened all over Turkey, and, you know, they just started protesting all sorts of concerns. Well, basically, all these were issues of freedom of the press, freedom of expression, assembly, you know, kind of uh, what, what was called back then government's encroachment on Turkey, secularism. So, obviously, it didn't end that well for for protesters, or for Babchenko for that matter. As then, in 2013, in these protests that he uh, reported on, he was beaten up badly by the police in Istanbul for unsanctioned filming, and, you know, subsequently later he was just expelled from the country. And crazy on, uh, his crazy life continues, because in May 29th, 2014, in the early crazy period of the whole, you know, Donetsk affair and the war there, Babchenko literally escaped death, when the Ukrainian Major General Sergei Kulchinsky didn't take him with himself on an Mi-8 helicopter, because, you know, it was overloaded at the moment. Which turned out to be really lucky, because two hours later, while still flying, this helicopter was shot down by the pro-Russian separatists uh, around the city of Slavyansk, and basically left 14 dead with no survivors. Yeah, well, obviously, as you can understand from this, uh, Bobchenko is in um, opposition to Kremlin, and he's actively supporting the armed forces of Ukraine in this whole Donbas affair. And he also uh, thinks that Crimea should be returned to uh, Ukraine because he's he's seen war, he's been in multiple, uh, he's served in two wars, and he doesn't like it at all. He doesn't like the military. He's um, kind of a kind of a a veteran, uh, a war correspondent and a veteran soldier himself. And I think that has also hardened Babchenko, because right now we're getting into his head, you see. In December 2016, he started a scandal in Russia because of his statements about the crash of the 254 plane over the Black Sea, which at the time was uh, carrying various artists to perform for the Russian military forces in Syria. Babchenko basically stated that he honestly didn't care about them, or about the tragedy at all, and that he didn't feel any pity. Well, truth to be told, he also said that he didn't feel any anger or, or happiness, and, uh, well, I guess happiness is not the right word here. The proper Russian word is Zloradstvo, um, which is basically Schadenfreude, which is, you know, how you describe feeling happy about something bad happening to someone else. But, but he was kind of fair and very cold about the whole event, because he doesn't support the Russian military effort there. Anyhow, for this, for this fact, the um, Gostuma deputy, Vitaly Mironov, and the senator, uh, Russian senator, obviously, Franz Klinsevich. yeah, they both publicly agitated to start another criminal case against him for this, and they called for a revoking of his Russian citizenship. So, you know, not like he's been on the, on the friendly side before, because he's openly got into trouble. And that led him, that led him on that in the 21st of February, last year, 2017, Dobchenko announced that, due to the multiple death threats that he received for both him and, and, you know, concerning his family, that he had enough, and that he would be temporarily leaving Russia. First, he moved to Prague, then later on July to Israel, and, you know, finally starting from August 2017, until, well, right now, to Kiev, Ukraine. From where, by the way, he usually continues to work as a journalist, being a frequent guest on Echo Moskvi rtvi and you know other multiple ukrainian and russian radio stations and you know obviously writing articles and such and uh and yeah Bobchenko is one of the one of the people that i, that I do listen to because uh, before sleep and before sleep i do listen to all these all these russian radio stations on youtube that's that's one of the things because i i don't get russian radio here and i can't listen to it real time but uh, there are a lot of all these talks and everything that they are all published in YouTube afterwards, and uh, that's how I gained a lot of my Russian news. But yeah, Babchenko was a, was a frequent guest there, he participated through Skype, he spoke openly about about a lot of these problems that had happened, and, and he was always in this opposition here. Oh, and, and since October 2017, he's also been the host of the program, <coughs> Prime Babchenko, in the Crimean Tartar TV channel ATR, but hey, I, I don't really speak I don't really speak um Tartar language, so I haven't seen that one. But yeah. Now now we finally get to the main event. Final. But uh before that. One of the things that it needs explaining is uh how this journalist, the soldier, turns into, you know, public enemy number one. Which he certainly after all these brand new events that have happened, he certainly will. As you as you all know, Putin is presenting himself as this uh, military man. Military is honored in Russia. Military is super, super important. They still have conscription there. And, you know, they have uh, these little military squads in, in schools and kindergartens now. Spoken about them previously in the past. And, you know, they uh, they glorify their army a lot. The, the military culture there is very, very strong. And, you know, I, I kind of would compare it to, to the United States. I suppose, but I don't know how... How it's going on there, but it's it's um it's a country that glorifies glorifies arms a lot and and you know the main main celebration there, which is uh, another one of modern political jokes, is that you know the greatest achievement of Putin is the fact that the Soviet Union won the war, the Soviet Union beat Germany in 1945. It's a joke, but it kind of shows how this whole thing is the massive main celebration and how the army is the basically. Basically, the, the guarantor of sovereignty of Russia, how it's uh, the most important institution there. And journalists, you know, are killed in Russia on a regular basis, and uh, they are the complete opposite, journalists are not respected there. So now, what we have here is a guy who has been in two wars, who's a war veteran, who's also a war correspondent, who's put himself into trouble a lot. And yet, who is um, a member of the opposition. Another person that reminds me of him is one Asla Bahmedov. He is a YouTuber. He isn't a journalist, though. But he actually, until very, very recently, until mid-April, served in the Special Forces in Dagestan, in the Caucasus region. It's kind of this autom- autom- one of the autonomous republics there. And you see uh, Asla Maschabov, he also, just like Babchenko, being a soldier, he also criticized Putin openly, and, you know, his YouTube channel grew immensely when he told that, you know, the military shouldn't support this regime because Putin doesn't care, and Putin doesn't care about the future of, of people. See, and while while others might get away with this, by, while, you know, while the mm, intellectual journalists, as they call themselves sometimes on Echo Moskvy and other radio stations, while these guys, you know, they can be ignored because nobody will care and nobody will listen to them, you know, it's, oh, it's just the intelligentsia are just mumbling somewhere there, okay? Because of all this uh, obsession with the military, if a military person starts criticizing Putin, if someone from the military who can actually, you know, walk the walk and and talk the talk, right? He he can actually walk the whole way. Uh, If someone from the military starts criticizing Putin, then the response is super harsh. Like, uh, I've seen YouTube videos where generals speak, well, not very pleasant things about how the Russian army is running, and they're criticizing it, and then they just disappear. And Aslan Ashab, Ashabov, the kind of the Spetsnaz dude from Dagestan, who was, like, on YouTube my watch, yeah, his story was that he immediately got, like, fired from his position in the army, and now he's being dragged to courts, he's being assaulted on the streets, and he's, like, documenting it all, too, and he's a simple guy, he uh, doesn't write any scripts or anything, but he's put into a lot of danger. And living in Dagestan. And after Babchenko's, like, death threats and everything, and after how Babchenko himself positions him, positions uh, all this, all this thing, like, Putin's afraid of him. That will give you a reason why, before we get to the main event, see, because the reason why is very simple. He is a military man. Military is everything. There has been this cult built around it, like, glorious arms of our, you know, aging nukes. And, you know, if you remember the episode about the, uh, kind of, Sh- shaded, shaded faux fo- fo- cartoons, where, where you know this this is kind of the the thing that Putin puts in place of actual improvements of economy. He just shows, hey, we can we can turn Washington into a, a nuclear hill hole, and then you know people clap. That gives them kind of pride or something. So <laughs> even though you know the, the the common people might be kind of you know not trusting liberal media as being a liberal is literally anyone who criticizes Putin and has turned into a swear word in Russia. Being a liberal and a military man and all this military thing, it is of extreme importance. It's a public thing really. It's um it's a means of propaganda because Babchenko was super important due to the fact that he had this traction. He had audiences in the military. And you know, he could get to the common people in Russia. Like they could they they would trust him way more than you know, just someone who's an honest journalist and doing his job, because opposition leaders aren't popular, but the military is, is and like, uh, oh so much. You see, that is why. That is why. Uh, personally, for me, well, this would give you the the motive here for what happened next and what was going on there with Bobchenko and, and all this stuff, because dissent among the people and against the so yeah, yeah, that's fine. Dissent among the military. Now those are grounds for termination. But yeah, this, this needed to be explained together with his life uh, to understand how this whole thing ties together, at least. Because we shall be lo- taking a look at how the Russian press, uh, both opposition and mainstream, covers it later on, what we'll the Ukrainians say about this, but I just want to keep this this philosophical part in mind. This is why Babchenko is sort of a political enemy here. But yeah, sidetracking away, back to what actually happened. As you might have heard, well, obviously you did because uh, because you you sent me emails and wrote to me on Facebook, and yeah, well, for the, but for those of you who didn't see on May 29th, police in Kiev reported the murder of uh, Arkady Babchenko. They posted a like a photo robot of his like uh, of his suspected killer. The reports were that Babchenko was shot in the back while uh, locking his uh, the doors of his apartment and that, you know, he was shot in the back, and he was found, like, laying in blood, and they even posted a picture of a man laying in blood there. Later on, that was all the police report. And everything went, like, crazy. And I'm not talking about, like, Western press crazy anything. No, no, no. You can read that on your own. But um, what happened in Russia was crazy, as, you know. That's why, again, his life was important. Because uh, you might have noticed that he isn't on the friendliest terms with them, and that he has run, in, uh, run into a lot of trouble, problems. But um, Russian mainstream media... Yeah, they started posting T V shows, articles and radios like full with this morning, and there were like titles from foreign ministry. You know, basically with the Russian foreign minister stating that Kiev should be very careful about investigating the murder of a Russian citizen, which will be a serious challenge for them. And how <clears throat> Kremlin is decidedly displeased by the murder of Babchenko, you know, all this usual crap about how Kremlin apparently extremely mega super cares about what's happening with their citizens abroad, especially with dissidents, especially people who are really dangerous about it. It it just seemed super mega faked. But it was, you know, the usual. And what was interesting about this, which uh, was pointed out to me by another Ukrainian listener here, and some guys from Russia as well, because, you know, I had to write a bunch of emails while researching this, is that this mass craze in Russia about Bobchenko started literally 30 minutes after the police's announcement. And if you remember the episode on the elections, uh, you know, remember how I spoke about the spoiler candidate Ksenia Sobchak, which is just there, which was obviously a Putin's candidate. Yeah, she even kind of started, you know, she wanted to quickly start a small remembrance protest action in the name of Babchenko. And like, everyone was just trying to show as much inhuman pity as possible. And, you know, it's like, oh, we will paint that uh, Kiev is incompetent. And, you know, Kiev now needs to deal with this. And this shall not stand. And, you know, mass outrage, mass mourning, lots of show nothing really strange except the fact that it happened so fast but um but yeah these articles were large and it really looked pre-planned like they they even prepared uh, to send like uh like through their european contacts uh kind of a, a consultant to ukraine to help the special services of ukraine investigate all this stuff and you know it just got stranger by the moment but sadly for them as we know, a day later, however, Bobchenko just, you know, waltzed in and appeared at a press conference held by Ukraine's National Security Service, revealing to everyone that his death has been staged to flush out the man allegedly recruited by Russian intelligence to organize his killing. Uh, by the way, this this method of doing things is quite common in Ukraine. They've been doing such fake-outs, like, regularly in, in case of assassination attempts for, like, uh, a while now, I suppose. This one's just kind of a of the latest and the most loudest one. Yeah, the previous one happened apparently in January, when a similar thing happened to one of their regional governors. And yeah, in a funny way, uh, same fake-out happened, same announcement of murder publicly and stuff like that. Didn't make it to the to the TV, but you can find it if you search for it. <laughs> but yeah, in a, funny, in a funny way, in that case, like the January case, the organizer of that attempted murder, the one who paid the assassins, turned out to be the mother-in-law of the said governor. Which, when taken into consideration, is, is pretty funny, but but yeah. Straight after this uh, reveal of Babchenko, all of Russian media instantly, again, 30 minutes later, started bashing Kiev, calling it a dirty provocation, intended to smear Russia, you know, again, stuff like that. Oh, and Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Belgium, of Belgium, of all places, declared that such an operation would <clears throat> disturb normal talks. And I know this, because I was, I was uh, sent a link by my... Um, Ukrainian listeners, as well, and uh, Ukrainian sources like Vata TV and some others basically responded to this as like, hey, you know, we're actually at war here. That's another thing which I'll touch on, because, you know, they are at war. And uh, they were really surprised that someone actually thinks that Russia wants to talk now, because of all the Minsk things and stuff. Another kind of small tangent, but important larger picture. But yeah, so let's let's move on to what else we know, because honestly, at this point, with all the information that I know and that I have heard and compiled, it would be a bit stupid to make any conclusions. So what can I do is just uh, explain what I know, give you some viewpoints, give you some arguments. But please, don't expect me to get into conclusion territory here. Because honestly, that's way too early for this and, uh, well, if they pop up at one point, trust me, you'll know. But let's turn to the press, and I here want to start with, uh, well, you know, my favorites. Maduze.io, kind of the Russian, main Russian news site that I use to do my my stuff, because I trust them. And uh, they are literally here, in great, so you can get information that way. So what are they looking at? They got first off to the press conference, and they got to ask questions. So... So compiling them and some other sources, but yeah, mostly mostly with, with Medusa. Basically <laughs> basically speaking to reporters, the Ukrainian National Security Agency head, Vasil I I hope I pronounced it correctly. Yeah, he explained that the man who allegedly tried to have Babchenko killed, also planned to organize the murder of another thirty people. And the officials who arranged this sting operation in order to make the suspect believe that the first murder had been carried out, you know, they did this. So he would kind of supply the hitman, who was, by the way, working with the authorities. And uh, the hitman, in this case, the hired hitman, who claims to be one, is, um, is a citizen of Ukraine, Alexei Tsimbaluk. And yeah, he claims to be the man who was allegedly hired to kill the Russian journalist. And um, Unian, the Ukrainian a news agency identifies Chimbaluk as a, as a veteran of Ukraine's mm-hmm. anti-Ukraine's uh, uh, struggle against the pro-Russian separatists. He's a Ukrainian uh, army veteran, and uh, he actually, you know, complimented the work of Ukraine's national security service. And he encouraged others to come forward if they knew about any murder, plo- murder plots. And uh, apparently, you know, being a veteran of East himself, this guy basically he got hired, and then he went to the authorities himself. So. Because of all this, uh, basically, this allowed uh, Ukraine to stop uh, killings of another thirty people, and kind of ensure the fact that you know there, there's there's going to be the UEFA the UFA, uh, Champions League in football there. There's going to be final there, and well, my Ukrainian uh, friends in, in the YouTube channel Sami Sok, which I listen to a lot, and you know they. They basically take a a lot of journalist blogs and translate them into Russian from Ukrainian, and that's what I listen to. They basically state that uh, through leaks and from sources in their national security service, uh, the the theory that's going on there right now is that the Russians kind of wanted to uh, to stop, uh, kind of discredit Ukraine, make sure that everyone in the world would know that Ukraine is not a safe place that you know they can't uh, they can't really ensure the safety of people in their UFL finals and stuff like that they wanted to make sure that kiev again would look really bad in the press but again those are unconfirmed leaks who come to me from a, a youtube channel that i listen to who has been correct previously i mean that's the guy who supplied me with uh, the first information about how i shouldn't really post instantly about Bobchenko's death on facebook and twitter which which is why you get this episode now instead of twenty ninth of May when I heard about all these news and uh yeah. I was warned by this guy who told me this told me this information to not post it then, because something big big would happen the next day and hey it did, so he has that credibility going on here. But uh yeah, those are unconfirmed things, obviously. But, you know, we might get some other news here later on about this. What I think is really cool is uh, the Babchenko's speech himself in the press conference, because that also might show some things. And, uh, you know, I have a full translation of the speech, and uh, I'm quoted quoted here. Good afternoon. I'm very sorry, but I'm going to speak Russian. Greetings. First, I should probably apologize for putting everyone through this, because I've buried friends and colleagues many times, and I know the sickening, disgusting feeling when you have to bury your colleagues. I'm sorry that you were forced to go through all this, but there simply was no alternative. Separately, I'd like to apologize to my wife for putting her through hell over the past two days. Olechka, I'm sorry, but there was no other way. Next, I'd like to thank Ukraine's National Security Service for saving my life. I didn't hear what Vasily Vasily just said, and I don't know what I can say about this, but as far as I know, they spent two months preparing the operation. A month ago, they brought me, me in on it. For a month, I got to see how these workhorses gave their all to this case. We were in touch the whole time, thinking things through and working them out. The product was this special operation and the resu- and the result there is no man in custody. But maybe he's only been detained, I don't know and I won't discuss the details now as I don't know them, them myself. A crime was committed and we have the evidence. Most importantly it means my life has been saved and I want to extend my thanks once again. But, most importantly, other far larger and more serious uh, terrorist attacks have been prevented because these people were preparing something serious. When Moscow said a week ago, or maybe it was two weeks ago, that some ISIS cell was planning an attack in Kiev ahead of uh, the football happening here, apparently I was supposed to be there, as far as I understand. What else is there for me to tell you? As you've already heard, this whole case was carried out over two months, and they came to me a month ago. They told me that there was a hitout out on me, and that the money had already been paid. The money, as far as I know, was $40,000. They showed me my documents, my passport information, and the photograph that only exists in my passport. I took the photo when I was 25 or something. And they showed me this photo which only existed in my passport at the passport office. It became clear that the information was coming from Russia and that it was apparently coming from federal agencies because as far as I know this information could only be obtained by the intelligence agencies and only at the passport office. So they suggested that I take part in the special operation. Truly really there were no other options here. Either we work or we still work. So I agreed. Like I said we spent a month planning this operation. The guys were real workhorses. They really gave it their all. At the same time, the other side wasn't joking around. They gave just two weeks to carry out the hit, and then they started pushing to get it done. They apparently pushed to get it done before the Champions League, which is, again, a thing that, you know, my internal sources kind of have, con- have confirmed again, because this Champions, Champions League comes up, like Bobchenko states that. So I had to find some way uh, out of it and come up with some excuse. So I break my, So I broke my leg. I didn't actually break it, though. And then I had to be somewhere else. I wasn't supposed to, it wasn't supposed to happen yesterday, but yesterday is when it happened. It was just a coincidence. And uh, at that point, Vasily Hristak just interrupted him and told that, I worry that you'll give away the whole criminal case. And Babchenko responds, alright, that's all. Put simply, this whole thing ended yesterday, half of it is already done. I've done my job, I'm still alive, and I'm not going anywhere. Thank you. So yeah, this is what Babchenko himself said in the press conference. And yeah, at this press conference, as you just heard, uh, basically, he said that this hitman, the person that I mentioned previously, was given a dossier containing his old passport photo. The Ukraine's National Security Agency later released the dossier itself, which contains a black-and-white photograph of Bobchenko, which is similar to a passport photo, and three color pictures of him. According to the document, Bobchenko got his passport in 1999. But here, here Meduza asks some interesting questions. For example, why would the killer need an old po- photo of, the, of his target? And how would this help him carry out the murder? And if a Russian intelligence agency were behind this murder plot, why would it have supplied the hitman with evidence inevitably linking Russia to the crime? That's the questions Medusa asks, and, you know, uh, those are things I think about uh, myself. Why would they need an old photo? Because old photos are, you know, actually more accurate or something, and especially if we're talking about an army veteran here. Maybe younger photos were, were corrupt or something. And if a Russian intelligence agency were behind this murder plot, why would it have supplied the hitman with evidence inevitably linking Russia with the crime? (laughs) Listen to my episode about the Skripals. It's uh, either doing it... It's either messing up or just doing it for the show. See when uh, lately, as we have noticed, with all these kind of strange cases involving Russia, be it the Skripal murders or their general macho attitude, they they don't do it secretly. They don't want to do it secretly. They're like... And especially if you listen to, uh, to Russia Today or, or other sites like that, it all happens like this way. They want the people to know that they have the reach. This is a psychological weapon. It's not a hidden hidden tool. I mean, they they, they want to keep the deniability, but, because, you know, uh, Russia Today works like, hey, totally wasn't us, they're, they're accusing us of nothing, but maybe we did it. They It wasn't us at all, but we could do it, you know. That kind of way, it's like an open, se- open secret policy which might, you know, provoke some fear. So yeah, that, that's the reason why would they have actually provided intelligence directly linking Russia. Because, uh, I don't know, I, I don't even know why uh, some Western journalists and people in Medusa here actually think that Russia cares about its reputation. I mean, it's, ru- it's in ruins anyways. They can't actually really improve it. ...by continuing the current policies, especially since the Putin's governments said the whole same thing, really... ...and they can't really do anything to, you know, suddenly turn friendly and no one would trust them anyways... ...so all that they can do is fear tactics and this intimidation thing. Talking about which, uh, again, uh, because this is recorded in separate parts and differently... ...another rumor is that, uh, which has come through Armenian secret services... ...and that literally happened, like, 20 minutes ago, uh, at the point of this recording... Armenian secret services apparently have released uh, stuff to Ukraine that um, Russia is now sending military equipment through Armenia and Georgia, marked up as completely anonymous, marked as Armenian forces to Syria. And with them, by the way, they send a nuke. They send a nuke, which is kind of a small-sized, kind of a tactical nuke. But uh, and this again is unconfirmed, and I heard it just 20 minutes ago. I haven't had time to completely fact triple check it out, so take it with a grain of salt. But if you if if something happens, you heard it here first. Okay. If it doesn't happen, then I know how. Th- then I will just erase one of my sources from the list. But uh, apparently, the Russians are just uh, through train shipping off milit- more military to Syria right now as kind of a response to all this affair they still want to use this intimidation tactic, and among things are a nuke, which will then, apparently, they're actually planning on using that one nuke to make it look like in Syria some sort of ISIS groups, basically they want to blame them, they want to come out with a public statement that, oh look, uh, America has made sure that ISIS have a nuke now, and then they nuked uh, Israeli forces there, and yada yada yada, you need us for world security, and look how responsible the United States are. Those are the hot cock news, and I don't know if, if and again, unconfirmed, just literally heard twenty minutes ago. I can't really find new sources i will I will update on this, but hey, if that is a crazy terror attack in uh, in Syria sometime, then yeah, then you know it's then you heard it here first. then again, our median security service might have just prevented that, but uh, about the train, they have pictures of it, so hey, it's a similar thing because you can never know. These guys are, I think, at the point of, uh, like I mentioned in my previous New in interview, they're at the point where they just, you know, f- trying—they're—they're they're basically throwing everything at a wall and see what sticks because of their economy is in shambles anyway. What can they do? But yeah, heading on with this one specific Bobchenko case because you know this—I this, this I, I just tried to answer the questions given out to the press here. But yeah, then there's also the questions about this whole. Uh, whole dossier thing, you know, the, the information that Hitman was given. See, the problem is that almost everything written in the dossier is available from open sources. Babchenko's biography, which I actually got there from a dossier, <laughs> is kind of a kind of recycled, uh, recycled uh, copy of, of Babchenko's uh, Russian Wikipedia page with uh, a few sentences slightly rewritten. Which I, again, checked, and it's kind of true, but it might have been edited later on. His Russian mobile phone and bank account numbers are copied exactly from his post on social media, where, you know, he asks readers for donations to support his journalism and, and, and stuff like that. Which reminds me, please join up my Patreon. I can, I can do that now, I suppose. I can, I can ask people to, to come to my Patreon and, uh, support the show, uh, and yeah, and uh, the information about the Babchenko's military service appears to have been taken again from his Adnok profile. The only private information in the dossier is Bobchenko's registered Moscow address and his Russian identification and passport numbers. And the document itself strangely says nothing about his address or his phone number in Kiev. But then again, if the hitman was this Ukraine army veteran, he would know this information already. But then again, this dossier thing, it, it does seem a bit of a fake out here, and I don't trust it that much, because... It's all very, very suspicious. And um, this dossier, well, I believe that there was a dossier, but if it exists, then it certainly isn't the one which was published in the media from which I took his biography, you know, at least parts of it, then I then I googled the rest up and found out about Bobchenko after listening to him, obviously. But yeah, I, I do not even believe that, you know, Russia, uh, Ukrainian secret services would be so, like, terribly dumb as to release a, you know, an authentic public dossier and like oh look these are all the documents that were given uh, given to the, the possible hitman of Varchenko. yeah no i i don't think so i don't think so so you know but we will we will see in the future and um, obviously i shall i shall kind of uh, carry it so on and the same day by the way at the at the 30th uh, like one day later may 31st uh the kind of the the main suspect in this whole thing was basically uh, arrested the name of the kind of, this whole organizer of everything is one Boris German. And this information came from uh, the lawyer, from, uh, from by the way, the site uh, gordonua.com, Gordon, it's a Ukrainian news site. And, and uh, where Babchenko's lawyer stated that the organizer of the attempted murder of the journalist Arkady Babchenko and, like, the main guy who deals with Deals with the Russians here and kind of the, the guy who has been arrested now on the 31st of May is Boris German. Interestingly enough, um, he also happens to be the um, the owner and the executive director of, well, one of the owners of the Ukrainian German company Schmeisser, which is literally the only arms manufacturer in Ukraine who are actually supplying, um, they're most wildly known for their optics here, at least in Ukraine, and they supply the, the kind of the optical aiming devices and all the all the things for Ukraine, Ukraine's secret service and their military. So basically the, the uh, assassination organizer would be an arms smuggling thing. So yeah, Ukraine's National Security Agency says that this Boris German, who is, again, this uh, running executive director of a major arms company in Ukraine, and whose company supplies the Ukrainian, um, Ukrainian army and special forces with a lot, of, a lot of stuff, was basically instructed to do even more than that. And basically, he was instructed to have more than 30 people killed. He was supposed to, according to Ukrainian National Security Agency, supposed to stockpile secret weapons caches through Ukraine. And hey, you know, in that case, Boris government kind of makes sense, because, hey, he actually has access to a lot of weapons, but Still, to this point, it, remain, it remains unclear why he would have been the man to entrust the organization of 30 murders. But yeah, these two crimes, the murders and the secret weapon caches, they appear to be two separate projects, so... So, hey, as much as I would... <laughs> and, you, and you know that I'm I'm critical of Putin a lot, and you know I don't like him, and uh, I have shown you the perfect motivation of why would he want to kill this guy, but again... Again, Kiev should, like, really, really step up their game, and, uh, I don't know. This is, uh, cause, uh, another, another source of mine, and he basically told me that this needed to be done the way it was done through massive news and everything to really get, get into the depth of this. And that obviously Ukrainian special forces worked with, together with the British, uh, secret service and they worked together with the, uh, with the CIA there on, on this case. So, you know, if we ever, if we ever will get that information out, that's it's also going to be surprising But, again, with, with all this fake out thing, it's all very strange. And hey, uh, can we even, like, trust Bobchenko himself? I suppose he's the only source here who, you know, at least is thankful for his life being given to him for the second time by Ukrainians. But it is kind of crazy. And another question that really happened here is, why have Ukrainian officials really decided that a Russian intelligence agency is behind the plot against Bobchenko? Because they publicly again stated that Ukrainian Secret Service has, like, uh, overcome, overcome the FSB and this, and they have, like stop this attempt from, from happening. This this just happens. And this question, by the way, do they have any actual real evidence against Russia, is um, this thing that is not answered. On May 30th, uh, Vasily Hristak, the leader of this uh, thing, didn't offer any, any real facts to kind of face the allegations against Moscow. And Boris German's lawyer hadn't said anything publicly um, that uh, his client had anything to do with Russian intelligence agents. But of course, it's possible that Ukraine's <laughs> Ukraine's NSA does have evidence to support this, but it isn't releasing it yet because of an invest investigation that's still ongoing. There are, however, these secondary things because, like I said about the consultant, he got thrown back there, and, and the Russian Ru- Russians are on crazy damage control mode right now, at least in the media and the press, and they're like outraged and and these articles about uh, these articles about how uh, everyone's super outraged about the fact that, oh my god, Kiev, in, in Kiev kind of faked this whole thing out. If you read them, then you might notice that they are way less professional and way less pre-prepared than those about Babchenko's death. But again, but again, it's kind of crazy, and uh, the authorities insist their, their security agency that uh, they indeed have collected proof that Russia organized a murder attempt. I mean they have indeed, and uh, even as much as though I think they could have even as much I think they could have, definitely, even as I believe this Kripal case was done by Russia here. Here is it's in Ukraine, I mean I've I've given you the facts, I've given you what I know. So it is kind of crazy. But yeah, we have to we have to think about like Boris Boris German, the, the kind of this, this founded this founded guy. And what happened according to Boris German himself, because we have an interview with him, obviously, as well, and through his lawyer. So what happened according to Boris German, in short? Six months ago, German was contacted by an old acquaintance from Moscow who, who, quote, works at a private Putin foundation organizing unrest in Ukraine. German reported this to Ukrainian counterintelligence and was told to learn more about the flow of Russian money into Ukraine, finding certain politicians and terrorist groups. When he was asked to arrange Babchenko's murder, an anti-terrorist operation veteran named Alexei Simbaluk, like I told before, was chosen for the job because he's a former monk and would never never kill an, um, an unarmed man. Ukrainian counterintelligence knew that Simbaluk would run straight to the National Security Agency because, quote, that's what they were trained to do at the front. Once this happened, counterintelligence knew Babchenko's murder would be staged. After Babchenko's death was reported, German received a list from his Russian contact with the names of another 30 targets, which he handed over to Ukrainian counterintelligence. All these actions were documented. The operation was a secret, but because there are many moles in Ukraine's national security agency who leak information to Russia. That is what Boris German says. And that is the crazy part, because again, this is recorded in parts, and everything just keeps blowing my mind, so I'm sorry, dear listeners, I mean... Literally 20 minutes ago, um, I was thinking, hey, Boris Getman, what, what, what what's his position, how is he going to defend himself? And he defend, defends himself while in prison for organizing massive terror attacks and 30 murders, technically, without saying that, no, 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 Russia is totally involved, but I was actually really secretly working with the Secret Service, I, I, I'm, I'm clear. He's not even saying he had nothing to do with anything, he's saying that, yeah, yeah, sure, I paid the hit mask. Do you, do you understand the insanity of all this situation? Yeah, and, and uh, according to Ukraine's National Security Agency and the Prosecutor's Office, Boris German isn't a counterintelligence agent. The case evidence apparently completely refutes his testimony. In early April, the veteran Alexei Simbaluk, who again claimed before to be the assassin, appealed to the police saying that he had been hired to kill Babchenko. Simbaluk was then brought in on the authorities' secret investigative actions, and apparently Boris German had paid him $14,000 in advance and gave him an extra $1,000 to buy a weapon with a silencer. Which is kind of stupid, because I know how silencers work, namely what they don't and what they do and what they don't do, and they don't work like in the movies, for for those few listeners out there who don't know something, but even I know that, that you know, silencers aren't that effective. But yeah, Bobchenko's murder was staged, so Tsimbaluk could get the list of 30 additional targets from German. When that list was received, uh, after, when that list was received, German was arrested. So hello! Welcome to news from literally 1st of June 2018 here, and it's just super crazy. And like I said, this is... This is just... Completely, completely crazy uh, going on everywhere. And another news which which, uh, happens in these new crazy parts which makes the whole story utterly devastatingly weird, which I am going to continue, obviously, because hey, 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 this is such a good story that I must carry on to the finish because uh, and I quote here. Using the Spark business analytics system, the newsletter The Bell dug up information about an man named Vyacheslav Pivovarnik, finding that he manages or owns shares in five Ukrainian legal entities. One of these companies is Public Security Service of Ukraine, LLC, which Pivovarnik confounded with Sergei Yemenovich Deyev who is mentioned in news reports as an expert at a Russian organization called the National International Security Foundation. This entity was headed by the Soviet general Leonid Cherishnev until he died in 2014. Cherishnev founded the Nationalist Foundation Russians and the Center for Assistance to Compatriots from Novorossiya and Ukraine. So yeah, this Pivovarnik guy, that is the contact that Boris German actually claims came to him and... Um, you know, this was this was his old acquaintance, living in Moscow, who works in this foundation. But yeah, the Bell actually managed to find a link between Pivovarnik and German. The former was the general director of Ruskon Ukraine, which was owned by a foreign company called Energy Trade Services Limited. This was presumably the British company NRV Trade Services Limited, whose director is Boris German. So, uh, the... D- d- model muddle this even more, Pivovarnik and Germ- German are also friends in the social network Adnoklasnik. And Ruscon Ukraine is a joint venture with the Russian container operator Ruscon, which is owned by former State Duma deputy in Russia, Sergei Shishikayev. The Russian news media has tied Shishikayev to former Deputy Prime Minister, guess who? Dmitry Rogozin, who now heads the Roscosmos State Corporation for Space Activities. I don't even know how to finish this on 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 a, on a proper note. It it is just kind of um, kind of stupid and crazy. But this is what we know, and the strangest fact is that yeah, like the main defense of the guy who's kind of accused of all of this because of the special operations is that he was actually work- working with with, with with this national security himself. But yeah, just wow. I wish that we live to see the conclusion of this. <laughs> On the side note, at the end this is funny, this is sad, this is something completely unexpected. But it will be an interesting way how to test out my sources. We shall see which of these rumors are true and I'll see which which of my sources from Ukrainian and Russian news give me the correct answers, provide me with the correct leaks. So after all, I have to find a way how to filter information somehow. So that's what I'll be doing, and I'll be following this story. You will definitely get informed, and even though this episode must have must have caused even more questions than answers, I hope you enjoyed something, uh, and that you, you got something from it, and that you enjoyed it. And yeah, we will definitely carry on with the story. The uh, next time when we turn to Russian news, because oh boy, there were also a lot of things that I really missed. Anyhow, thank you for listening, and uh. it Bye. Редактор Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.